Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? This is In Liberty and Health, back for another episode. I got John Odermatt here from Lines of Liberty, Finding Freedom, formerly uh, Felony Friday, Finding Felonies, something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, let's just combine the two together, Finding Felonies. That's that's kind of how the show started, ironically. But, <laughs> but yeah, but now it's called uh, now it's called Finding Freedom. Published every every Thursday on the uh, Lines of Liberty podcast. You can find it there. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I was uh, listening to some of your interviews today and, um, you know, kind of digging around. Um, kind of give a brief history of what got you kind of into libertarianism. I, you know, I, I heard a little kind of tidbits here and there, but I haven't heard the full story. Yeah, well, I, the, I guess the full story. Um, I guess I've kind of evolved on like my thinking on really how I became a libertarian kind of recently, even kind of uh-huh. looking back in hindsight, like I think people, most people who become libertarians or, you know, at least, uh, you know, are open to the ideas of liberty. I think you're just kind of born that way almost, or it could be your, your upbringing or, you know, different things in, in your culture growing up. Um, I think it's really hard to convert someone. It does happen though. Cause I've met people who are like, you know, diehard socialists and then become libertarians. So I was always, you know, I, I was, I was raised in a sort of a, an independent household in the way that, I mean, politically speaking, in that my, my dad was more Republican. My mom was more kind of independent minding, looking, looking at candidates and uh, like, like growing up um, when Ross Perot ran, I was in like what third or fourth grade, something like that. And uh, I volunteered to be the uh, person who like spoke for him in our class election. So I was always open to like looking outside the two parties, looking for, you know, different solutions. But uh, in high school and college, I went down, you know, hardcore neocon path. And I was a big George, uh, George W. Bush supporter. And I remember arguing with friends in college about, you know, how we're going to spread democracy in the Middle East and how, how important this is. <laughs> and it's like, looking back on that now, I'm like, oh, my God, what the, it's so, so embarrassing. Yeah. But I, th- I think, th- like, when things changed, it, it, it obviously comes back to Ron Paul. I mean, for, for everybody, it seems to be that way. Yeah. But uh, 
it happened through my friend Mark Claire, who you know a lot of you know at Lions of Liberty hosts our Monday show. And Mark actually learned about Ron Paul from one of our other friends at Lions of Liberty, Howie Snowden, who was a congressional page. And Howie wasn't a page for Ron Paul, but he'd met him when he was working for another uh, congressman and uh, just started reading his like, uh, you know, Texas straight talk that will publish every week. And then Mark started reading that. And uh, I didn't learn about it from Mark. And so I moved out to California after I graduated college and I'm living out there. I was living in the Inland Empire area, which is in uh, Riverside, Riverside, Colton, California. It's about an hour or so east of Los Angeles. And, and Mark, Mark and Brian were down in LA. So I would go down there some weekends. I had a friend out in Palm Springs. I would go out there. It was a fun time, but uh, I really didn't save any money or I was, I was pretty <laughs> poor at that time in my life. But anyway, so what sticks out of my mind, um, one night Mark and I, um, I met him at this dive bar not far from where I lived. I forget why we were at this dive bar. And it was too th- early in the uh, you know run up to the 2008 um, election. So this is even like before really the primary season even kicked off. And I think Ron Paul had, had announced pretty, pretty recently around that time. And Mark starts talking about this congressman from Texas who he's anti-war and Mark's telling me about the Federal Reserve and and how, uh, you know, they're destroying the money and how inflation is really just, you know, this caused by the Federal Reserve, pump more money in the system. And I'm like, this Federal Reserve stuff makes a lot of sense. But a Republican who's anti-war? Like, what, what are you even talking about? Like, <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? So, like, from there, that just kind of, like, I got to figure out, like, what this guy, who is this Ron Paul guy? What are these ideas? I've never heard this stuff before coming from. I identified as Republican, so coming from the Republican side. So I just started digging, man, and uh, I got really into uh, watching Ron Paul YouTube videos, and that just took me down the path. And before before I knew it, I was reading. uh, I used to, every day, first thing in the morning, I would read um, (laughs) lewrockwell.com. Cause that was like, like there weren't libertarian podcasts then. So it was like lewrockwell.com. And then eventually the daily Paul came along, which is really cool like forum where once we did eventually start our podcast, like that's where we got a lot of our um, listeners from. And when we had our blog, a lot of our readers would be directed there from the daily Paul, which was a, uh, it, it was like the, the beginnings of the, uh, of this new uh, Liberty movement, which is kind of just continue to grow and grow. But yeah, man, it all, it all goes back to Ron Paul. And I remember like the time that I bought all in was that famous Ron Paul, really, really Giuliani moments. Um, when Ron Paul, you know, talks about blowback and, uh, you know, that just, I, I was, I remember talking to my family about it, like after it and they're like, well, Rudy Giuliani really showed Ron Paul what's what I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, did, <laughs> did you watch that debate? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's crazy looking back on stuff like that. Yeah, for real. Um, you know, I kind of came into the libertarian move or movement a little bit later, um, I'm only 27 now as of last weekend, and um, I was only able to vote in 2016. So I kind of knew about libertarianism like prior to that, just more from, you know, different YouTube videos mm-hmm. and different people kind of in the movement that weren't quite, you know, in, in the political system. And uh, just 
probably within this last year, I finally heard about that Ron Paul, Rudy Giuliani moment. And everyone talked about Ron Paul. And I'm like, okay, he's probably really good. And then like watching that and kind of watching the debates and seeing all that now, I understand it. Like, you know, that was such a monumental moment considering the time, you know, everyone's riled up for war even seven or eight years later after a 9-11. And to have somebody on a Republican stage, no less, kind of lay it out perfectly clearly um, you know, that took guts. And I think that really inspired mm-hmm. a lot of people. And that's what, you know, much like you brought many, many people into the Liberty movement kind of inspired them to keep going down the path. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that, that's a great way to put it. It took guts. And Ron Paul had several moments like that mm-hmm. on stage. I remember, I think it was 2012. He was uh, a GOP debate in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the hosts would always like, or the, the moderators who are supposed to be independent would always like set him up with like gotcha questions. They'd be like, "Oh, so uh, Dr. Paul, you're in favor of legalizing uh, marijuana and heroin? Do you want people doing heroin?" And uh, Ron Paul mm-hmm. just played up, played it off, and he's like, "If if heroin was legalized tomorrow, how many in the crowd here would start doing it? Are you worried that you start doing heroin tomorrow?" It's, I mean, just like to have the the guts and the balls to just Mm -hmm. speak plainly like that. Um, It it was awesome to see. And in in that time, like, it's hard to like, it feels like freaking decades ago, which I mean, it it is really, it's more than 10 years ago since its first run. But like, this, the climate has changed so much with regards to the view on marijuana. Like, I remember when I first told Mm -hmm. my parents that I was a libertarian, a small L Republican libertarian. And, uh, you know, in favor of, you know, legalizing drugs, they're like, oh, my God, legal, legalizing marijuana. I can't believe that. But like now, like it's even like even my parents have come around on that. Like they would be in favor of yeah. legalizing you know, marijuana. So it's like nuts how much that landscape just in that like one aspect has changed. Also with wars, I think people have really woken up to the uh, you know, destruction of the U.S. war machine. And I think mm-hmm. we've seen that, you know, with Afghanistan and, and the troops finally coming home from there. Right. And I I think that's a lot of the luster actually throughout the last 20 years, because pretty much all the president's campaign on being anti-war, unfortunately, in effect, they usually never are. And it's very, very shocking to me that Joe Biden, of all people, walking fucking corpse is the one to finally do it. Um, You know, and this I kind of rag on Trump a lot because I, I work with all boomer cons and this is all I hear is that Trump was the greatest man since sliced bread. And, you know, he was Jesus incarnate and, you know, he was anti war. I've seen people literally say that there were no wars under Trump's presidency which that's that's neither here nor there but (laughs) well that's the media i mean that's the media's fault which i mean that's that's what they do i mean they're it's propaganda but yeah most people i mean not even blame people to think that i mean you can point them to uh you know sources Mm antiwar.com that'll tell them all about you know the just the horrible situation in in yemen but uh yeah it's that's that's by design yeah, well, and, you know, usually presidents are being their most presidential when they're destroying other countries, destroying people's mm-hmm. livelihoods, um, you know, stuff like that, that doesn't affect us immediately. But in the long term with the police state and, um, you know, the military industrial complex and the s- stealing of our purchasing power that we see through all these things, um, that's how it eventually comes back to affect us. So I guess that kind of leads to another point. Uh, let's kind of briefly touch on what inspired you to start um, Felony Friday? And I know you kind of pivoted over to finding freedom to kind of broaden your horizon there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, 
you know, coming from a conservative household, as you said, you know, that's kind of a strange thing because most conservative people, they're not very concerned about the police state. Um, little side note, I, it always kind of surprised me that conservatives were for the death penalty because you would think people who are supposed to be for limited government wouldn't want government to arbitrarily decide whether or not people mm -hmm. live or die. Um, it, it just, it's weird to me that conservatives would kind of bow on that or give that one away. But yeah, um, being that you come from a right wing leaning household, what inspired you to go, you know, look more into the criminal justice system? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's really two parts, but, but first I will say it is always surprising to me that conservatives are in favor of the death penalty also mm. because, you know, many are Christians and it's, I mean, the death penalty is, is not, is not Christian. People will point to stuff in the old Testament but uh, there's nothing Christian about about, you know, putting someone to death for a for a crime. So and I've done some podcasts on that in the past, some some pretty good ones. But like my my personal story, yes, I did grow up in, you know, suburbia. Uh, we used to call I, I grew up in a, an area, a town called Mount Lebanon, um, just south of Pittsburgh. And we used to call it the, the bubble, like because it was just like, you know, your typical suburban bubble, mm -hmm. like really, you know, didn't have enough you know, violent crimes happening, or, you know, of course, there'd be like, your, you know, little high school, you know, drug things that would happen, things like that happen at, at any high school, but for the most part, pretty insulated from Trish uh, had heroin or purse or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for the most part, and, and yeah, and she would get away, or, you know, they'll get away with it pretty much. Like, yeah. But th meanwhile, that happened like down the road in a, uh, you know, more of an urban area, you'd be locking kids away for, for years for stuff like that. But that, which that, I'll, I'll get to that later, uh, that, that part of my story. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's my upbringing. I go to Penn State. And uh, from there, I go to, uh, to Georgia. I'm working for a while. Same company moves me out to uh, California. I'm working in a very uh, industrial environment. Back in that time, um, I was working for a company that, that manufactured steel framing. And uh, I was working like I was in like their management training program or whatever. Basically, it was just you know, a cheap way to get supervisors and stuff like that. So I was working like the, the night shift and, and things like that. Um, but I got to meet a lot of, you know, blue collar people. And uh, like, I was very surprised to learn, like one of the jobs that they had me do um, kind of like on the side for being a supervisor out on the floor was like go through resumes and, uh, you know, help with the hiring process, learning, learning that. And they didn't give me much guidance. I guess they figured I learned something in college about that, which I didn't. And uh, they were just, you know, look at these resumes, you know, look at their background and, uh, and pick the good ones. That was ba basically the uh, direction that I got. So I'm going through resumes and I'm seeing, um, ba -ba -ba, okay, uh, felony, uh, pot possession, uh, selling, uh, put that one in the discard pile, misdemeanor, discard pile, the felony discard pile. And it turned at the end, at the end of it, like 70% of these resumes are in the discard pile because of the piece of people had a criminal background. So I bring this, this stack of resumes up that I thought was good and the plant managers, you know, looking through them. And he's like, this is weird. None of these resumes, no one has any, you know, prior criminal history. It's really strange. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I got rid of those ones. I took those ones out. And he's like, John, like half of the people out there on our floor working right now, you know, have a criminal history. I'm like, oh shit, I did not, did not know that. So that was like the biggest wake up call. And then from there, like over time working out there for, for a couple of years and just getting to know people, 
um, who'd, who'd been to, you know, been to prison, who'd had, you know, had, you know, been convicted of these you know, victimless drug crimes, learning the stories, you know, just kind of understand that they're people just, just like, uh, just like you or I, I mean, maybe they made a mistake depending on how you look at it. You know, a lot of these laws out there shouldn't even be there. Um, but, uh, regardless, they, you know, put themselves in a situation and, and they dealt with the, uh, you know, the, the repercussions from it and they're trying to, trying to do better. So that was a big eye-opening experience. Fast forward. I moved back to Pittsburgh. Um, I meet my, meet my now wife and, you know, we're dating and all that stuff. And, uh, when we were, I guess we were engaged at this point in time, her, her brother, my now brother-in-law, um, was in uh, in college and he got tied up in this he wasn't even selling pot but he got tied up in this uh undercover buy thing where this guy who he thought was his friend probably he was set up by the actual dealer in the area to get his charges reduced um this is escalating buy so uh, my brother, my brother-in-law thinks that he is just helping a friend out or a friend of a friend by getting in some, uh, some pot. And it's like seven or eight undercover buys in escalating quantity. And uh, they, they raid, you know, raid these, a bunch of these uh, apartments. The only one they didn't find any drug paraphernalia or drugs in was, was my brother-in-law's everyone else they did. And I don't know how this happened. My brother-in-law probably had a bad lawyer, which, it, it, it sucks, but that's what normally comes down to. He ends up getting the harshest sentence. He had to go, he did, I think, over a year in jail. And we had a felony from it. And then he did time in a halfway house. And I really got to see the system from that side in that unless you have, when you're in that situation, unless you have a supportive family, friends, people who can, uh, you know, get you a ride to a job and, and things like that, help you, help you find a job, you know, family, friends, and things like that. When people do get out, help you get back on your feet. That's, that's recidivism. That's like 90% of recidivism, people that don't have any support, which is most people who end up going to prison and it's just a cycle. So after that happened, that really set me down that path to figure out and start wanting to expose really what was going on. So it started with just uh, when we had our blog at lionsofliberty.com. Just every Friday, I would write about, you know, a ridiculous case, you know, something crazy that, that was happening in the criminal justice system. And then Mark's, Mark started the podcast first. And we started seeing, wait a minute, we're getting like thousands of people to listen to these podcasts, but only like a couple hundred people are reading our blog. Why don't we just all do podcasts? So I started with the with Felony Friday, uh, a couple of years after Mark, and then Brian started with Electric Liberty Land a couple of years after me. And uh, when I started, honestly, like people like stress about podcasts, like I want to start a podcast, but I don't know what I want it to be about or who I'm going to have on. I started with no idea what I was doing. I was like, I am just going to talk about crazy felonies. And somehow I ended up stumbling across a couple of guests, like a uh, someone who worked in the in the prison system, and then they introduced me to someone else, and then I met. You know, somebody who was uh, advocating for clemency for people who were who were in prison and it just kind of snowballed. And I started meeting all these people with these incredible stories. And then, yeah, and now it's turned into finding freedom. So that's <laughs> it's been a wild time. Right. Well, 
I kind of wanted your opinion on something because this is an area that I think probably a lot of libertarians that they all agree that the prison industrial complex, if we want to call it that, is a very, very bad thing. Um, but, and this isn't to corner you into saying anything that would be controversial necessarily, but what do you think of the term, <laughs> what do you think of the term institutional racism? And what does that mean to you? You, of all people, I think would be more educated on this than kind of the average libertarian. And I think a lot of people kind of dust it under the rug and I have mixed feelings and I don't think I know enough to say whether I necessarily agree with it or not, or think that it's a thing. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely, definitely a thing. I mean, mm -hmm. th there definitely is a racist element built into the criminal justice system, just based on the way that the laws are structures with structure with mandatory minimums mm -hmm. and the uh, you know, the difference between sentencing for, you know, which now has been changed, which I think it's also been changed retro retroactively now um, between crack cocaine and, uh, and cocaine powder. So things like that, like they were, they, they were, it was obvious that they were targeted. Um, they, they were targeting minorities with it. And e even when you look back like to um, just the, the advent of the, the, the war on drugs with uh, Harry Anslinger and uh, he was he was a huge racist. So it, it was it was rooted in in racism. And they were and they, and they made like when they started criminalizing marijuana, you know, they made um, blacks and um, uh, Mexicans basically the, the scapegoats of it. So the, it, absolutely, there is a racist element. Like, I, I don't think the solution is in this uh, this this anti-racism stuff, you know, obviously. I mean, racism is bad, but by like flipping it around to like penalizing white people for it, I think is freaking ridiculous. But uh, yeah. I'm going to apologize if our alarm's going off. My dogs are howling downstairs. So hopefully that's, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't sound too, too bad. But um, yeah, like I said, I think a lot of right wingers and I come from the right as you seem to as well. Mm -hmm. Um you know, they typically just kind of dust this off and say, oh, well, you know, that's just wokest propaganda. And not that we should, you know, completely discard that and agree with that. But, you know, I feel like there's a little bit more nuance that a lot of people don't necessarily give credence to. And I feel like mm -hmm. that could perhaps to be our own, be to our own detriment rather than our own success. Cause there's probably mm -hmm. a lot of people that we could reach if we kind of meet them where they are rather than just saying, listen, you're full of shit. <laughs> the woke stuff is bullshit. Anti-racism, you know, it, it, you know, approaching people with a little bit more nuance rather than just beating them over the head, you know, Ben Shapiro style, you know, speaking at 10 times lightning speed at a college student telling them how they're wrong because, you know, get woke, go broke. <laughs> yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. And I mean, people want to, I mean, they want to cite statistics, you know, showing that, you know, based on, you know, population density that it's actually you know the same amount of you know white males and black males that are incarcerated and, and getting getting in a show like that i think really misses misses the point um i mean a lot of it just comes down to you know the the way the way our, our population is spread out i mean in, in our urban areas we have more police we have more people and i mean that's where a lot of your 
Um, that's where your minority population is, is in urban areas where there is a larger police presence. And the way you're going to police in a, in a city is a lot different than the way you're going to police out in the country. It's just totally different. So it's, it, I don't know, a lot of this stuff, you can't even, you can't even like gleam a, a ton from it, but I think it's, it's really dumb as libertarians to focus our message, like, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Like mm -hmm. our, our message should not be that our primary message should not be that, you know, the primary problem with the criminal justice system is racism. Cause it's not, I mean, right. the primary problem with the criminal justice system is we have too many freaking laws. I mean, that, that is the okay, primary yeah, problem. I, th I think that's a good way to put it. And I posted a status today because I was thinking about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, gun laws, minimum wage laws, vaccine mandates mm -hmm. um possession laws all make criminals out of peaceful people and especially with everything we've got going on with vaccine mandates we have to look at this in light of you know how this is going to be applied and what the consequences are and uh, some libertarians are interpreting this in a vacuum which i think is to a complete and total detriment because you're going to shut so many people off the mm -hmm. government is now requiring business owners require their employees to be vaccinated or tested and masked um you are making criminals of peaceful people these people did not do anything wrong but now they must pay a fine they have you know an obligation to punish their own employees by fiat of the state you know on an arbitrary declaration which you know once again now what happens if you don't want to pay the fine are the police going to come in and arrest you because you chose not to pay the fine over a vaccine mandate? Um, I think that's something that not a lot of libertarians are hitting on. And it really is, you know, a failure of our movement if we're not going to kind of pounce on this opportunity to spread the message of libertarianism. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how this is going to play out with this uh, <laughs> fine for, uh, for the vaccine mandate for mm -hmm. and, and they bury it in there too that now if you're not vaccinated you i guess starting what december 3rd i think which is coming up pretty quick mm -hmm. um you have to wear a mask in the office the entire time which yeah. I, I work in an office setting and my company has had like these they've been they've had fluctuating rules with masks but they've never required employees to wear masks like sitting at our desks so it's, I mean, it's going to be really weird to watch how this plays out. Um, companies don't want to deal with this shit. They don't want to be, no. you know, telling their employees, you know, exactly, you know, where, where they can and where they have to wear a mask. And um, some, I mean, some companies do, and they already have. So don't work for those companies. But the, the ones that uh, are just trying to manage this in a normal way, like, yeah, they don't want the federal government telling, telling them to come in, uh, tell them what they can and can't do. Uh, coming back to your policing thing, I wanted to find this this article, which I never mm -hmm. write articles, but I wrote this during last summer during the George Floyd riots and everything that was happening. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad you about, went there because I have something to tag on there. But go ahead, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no problem. Uh, people were talking about decriminalizing the, the, the police, and uh, like nobody was like hitting on like the root of the problem. And I published this article, and then ironically, Justin Amash, like a day later, comes out and says the exact same thing as me. So I'm not going to say I told him what to say, but I think he was reading what I was writing. So I, it was called Seven Essential Criminal Justice and Policing Reforms. Um, I'm not going to go into detail on them because I think your listeners will understand what each of them means. Demilita demilit 
terrorize the police, decriminalize all drugs, end occupational licensing. And we'll say on this, the reason for ending the occupational licensing is because that, that is just another, another barrier. You're creating, you're creating more criminals. You know, if somebody wants to kind of like with, with the uh, vaccine mandates, if somebody wants to open a, a beauty shop out of their home, um, they should have to without worrying about, you know, getting fined or getting right. arrested for, uh, you know, providing a service, uh, consensual service to, to their friends and neighbors in their community. Um, four, ban no-knock raids. Five, end qualified immunity. Six, stop using taxpayer funds to pay for victims of police brutality. And seven, end civil asset forfeiture. So, and it was like a day, a day after I posted this, Justin Amash basically said the exact same thing. Were you hanging out with him? Guys like drinking beer or something? No, 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 I don't, I don't know. I do know uh, <laughs> Justin's friend up in Michigan, uh-huh. Eric Larson. He's a friend of the Lions of Liberty. So may, maybe Eric passed it on to him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> check out this article but i i, I remember sharing that status and that was a uh, very very good point on his part but uh you know hearing this now kind of shows how far i've even come on my thinking because i kind of came from the neocon side as well i always called myself a libertarian but i was pro-war up until about two years ago discovering all the great libertarian foreign policy guys specifically scott horton um that initially I was like, oh, well, you know, George Floyd was on drugs and he was resisting arrest. So uh, they deserved to die. No, but, you know, it was in their training that they could have their knee on their neck that was put in 2012. So you, and I was making excuses even back then. But now I look at it, I'm like, why are police even doing this? You know, mm-hmm. why is there even why are you allowed to do that to somebody? Why are there laws for people who are just consuming drugs? The dude gave a counterfeit $20 bill and I was going to die. And, you know, the, the autopsy came out and he was relatively unhealthy, but that's still no excuse to put your knee on the dude's neck and fucking kill him. Like, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Well, it also goes into, I mean, it's even more rooted in the war on drugs because he was, he pretty much, from what I understand, he pretty much intentionally overdosed himself to a certain mm-hmm. degree because he didn't want, he knew that if he didn't get put in the back of the police car, they'll take him to the hospital. So he was trying to avoid at all costs going into the police car, which so that was another contributing factor to him dying. Yeah. Um, so basically the whole thing is caused by, caused by the war on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember um, reading articles saying that you could see the vehicle moving around and that was probably because once again, he didn't want to get caught with the drugs and had the drugs in his system. Mm-hmm. And it was strictly because, you know, he had been caught with that before. Um, and, it, you know, we were kind of touching on how far some people have come on the war on drugs. And I agree that a lot of people kind of are for legalizing marijuana, but I still think there's quite a large bit of the population that pretty much anything beyond that is like, you know, sacrilege. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, libertarians will come out with their legalized mm-hmm. cocaine shirts. I don't, I don't know if that's the best way to, uh, to get people okay. to, to yeah. with the idea. I'm glad you said that because I think sometimes people interpret their shit posting and saying the most edgy shit they could possibly think of mm-hmm. is good messaging, which maybe for a certain audience, but um, I've kind of talked about it, or talked on this podcast with a couple other libertarians where they start going into these 
binary extremes essentially where they say oh all police are bad people because they enforce bad laws which okay if you want to boil it down okay yeah i i guess we agree but the problem is you're lacking the nuance that people are indoctrinated from the time they're young till the time they're old and this could even go for the uh, war on drugs mm -hmm. you're indoctrinated essentially from the time you're young to the time you're an adult and told that oh only bad people do drugs this is bad for you police are here to serve and protect People are told this from the time they're young, so they're starting off with bad information. And we as libertarians, I think it's more of our responsibility to kind of pull, pull the wool off people's eyes and make them see what the truth actually is. So when you come in and say legalize cocaine, all police are bad mm -hmm. people, people's first reaction is, well, fuck this guy. I ain't listening to him. He's ridiculous rather than just saying, well, you know, have a more civilized conversation, meet them where they're at, and then push them a little bit further. Yeah. Also, and I've kind of evolved my thinking on this, like, mm -hmm. obviously I think there's too many laws. I think police are enforcing, you know, laws that, that should not be enforced, but at the same time, especially now with these vaccine mandates, lockdowns, everything that's happening um, in our own communities as libertarians, as people who, who think differently um, don't just be a dick to your local police to be a dick. Because they might be the ones, I mean, you got to look out for, you got to look out for yourself and your family. They might be the ones coming around enforcing um, these mandates at some point. And if you have a personal relationship with a police officer, if they know who you are, then you're going to be a lot better off. And that's, that's just a part of survival. And I think a lot of libertarians, that goes over their head. Um, it's not to say police should be excused for their behavior, right. um, bad, thing they, bad things that they've done. But we, I mean, libertarians got to start thinking about how to navigate the world we live in right now. We, mm -hmm. uh, and it, you know, people talk about living in, uh, in Kapistan in your head. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's okay to a certain degree. I mean, you can want that idealistically. That's where you want to be. Um, mm -hmm. But you're not there now. And the way things are moving, unfortunately, um, the best, the best way to one of the best ways to protect yourself is through personal relationships in your community with people who hold, you know, some sort of power, some sort of influence. And if they know who you are, if they know you're a nice guy, they're going to look on you a lot better. They're going to give you the benefit of the doubt more so than if you're a guy who's harassing them, calling them names, things of that nature. Yeah, you know, I completely agree. And I live in a, a smaller suburb town where you know you could kind of drive five minutes and there's cows and farms mm -hmm. and then drive another five minutes and there's factories, you know, it, it, it's either way. And all the police I've interacted with around here have been absolutely phenomenal to me, to be completely honest with you. I mean, I remember being a 21 year old kid, 21 or 22, and I only had my house for probably a little bit more than a year. And I had a bunch of people who were like 18, 19 over, and we were all drinking beer. And this was, you know, obviously years ago, but there were like three or four cops that showed up to my house and they had every right to fucking haul my ass off to jail and throw me in the mm -hmm. slammer and treat me. Oh, yeah, you could have been screwed from that. Oh, yeah. absolutely. But mm -hmm. I ended up paying like a $200 fine, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. We're good. So I, I think that kind of goes to show you. And obviously this is going to be everyone's situation. And sometimes there are just sincerely bad people who are police. Um, yeah. I, I just got lucky but, you know, essentially treat people the way you want to be treated. It sounds retarded and cliche, but, you know, are you going to get a bad cop? Yeah, but, you know, you might as well do your best to find out if it's going to be a good or a bad cop rather than just assuming he's going to be a dick right off the bat. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think libertarians get obsessed. And I mean, I've kind of done this in the past too. I've had on uh, those, like uh, the guys who like tell you exactly what you should do if you get pulled over and you've been drinking, like don't put your window down and you like hold a piece of paper to the window. Uh, a lot of the time, if you're just like normal, they're probably going to be fun, unless you're going through like a DUI checkpoint, then all bets are off, then try to avoid those. <laughs> but if you just like get pulled over after you've had a beer or two, and, uh, you know, you make like an illegal right-hand turn or something or left-hand turn, whatever. A lot of the time, you know, you're, you're probably going to be okay if you're just normal and you're not a dickhead. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that kind of gets back to the, you know, another point of the whole libertarian movement is decentralization is if you're more friendly with your local police, then, hey, maybe you can kind of push them in the direction you want to go, especially with the vaccine mandates coming out now. You could tell your local sheriff, hey, man you really don't want to do this do you like come on think about this do you really give a shit because <laughs> we, we don't i don't i don't think you do just just stay at home dude you'll be all right we'll be all right if we get covid we'll hang around the house for a little bit we'll take some of that horse paste or whatever it's called <laughs> and we'll be over it dude trust me it's all right yeah there's, there's a lot to be said for that and uh you know i think as libertarians trying to, you know, get active in our communities. And I'm not even saying like, Pete, you can, I'm not even saying to run for office locally, but I think if you're going to run for office, that's really the only place you should really be thinking about doing it with a few exceptions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, these people, you got libertarians running for us Senate and Congress and run for your local school board. Or, I mean, even if you don't have kids in school, try to, I mean, try to, you know, meet people who are, you know, setting the course in your local community. That's kind of, I mean, I've gone through this shift in the past like six months that have just really opened my eyes. And I feel like I've really steered um, people had been in not a wrong direction. I mean, we all go through our own, you know, personal growth over time. But I, I mean, I wasted a lot of time in the Libertarian Party. I worked on a, uh, and I'm still a member of, of Libertarian Party. I'm still, you know, I still, I support the Mises Caucus, but I worked on a, a U.S. Senate campaign. I was a campaign manager. I poured all kinds of time into this, uh, in, into that race. And what happened? You won like 2% of the vote. So I don't know. I mean, there's something to be said for spreading the ideas to a certain degree, but I think that can still be done um, with certain targeted campaigns, maybe for governor or, or something like that. Uh, but but running for every, these libertarians, the one we want to, you know, run as many libertarians as possible. Not number one, I, I don't think that really helps you that much in the long run. Number two, it's a lot of libertarians who should be focusing on, you know, creating some personal wealth. You know, a lot of libertarians who are traveling, traveling to these conventions, who can't afford them, who are starting to go fund me's to go to them, um, <laughs> living in their parents' basement, don't have a car. They should worry about getting their own place to live, worry about, you know, paying for a vehicle and things like that before, you know, worrying about getting $700 to get a plane ticket and hotel rooms at a convention. Yeah, to go to uh, Reno to go attend the yeah. Libertarian convention where you'll be no better off. But this kind of gets to another question and to kind of tag on to what you said there. Another reason why I started this podcast because I wanted to bring more of the health sphere and kind of put Libertarians eyes on, hey, maybe we should be more impressive people. You know, mm -hmm. if you're a uh, overweight dude who lives in his mom's basement and you don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you're a loser, but hey, look, I'm the local county chair, you know, 
Oh, you know, do, do people really give a shit? <laughs> you know, but if if you're, you know, a leader in your community, your father, your mother, your business owner, you're fit, especially, then people really, I think, will more so gravitate towards you because you look like you're, you got your shit together, you know, and I think that would do a lot for our movement. Um, but that kind of pivots to the next point that I wanted to ask you about. What do you think of this post-libertarianism praxian kind of deal going on here? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll say a couple of things. I mean, I don't think, you know, most of the so-called post-libertarians that I know don't even think they're post-libertarians. It's just kind of this this label, but but now it's out there. So they are post-libertarians. Yeah. And maybe some people think I'm a post-libertarian. I, I don't even know really what that means. <laughs> but it's I, I just think it's there's a shift happening. Um, people, I think, COVID, the lockdowns, the mandates have made a lot of people realize that, you know, we've put all this time into trying to educate people, help people um, in the Libertarian Party, running people for office. And what happened? Nothing has happened. We were shut down and locked in our houses. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're still, you know, for, forced to wear masks to go to certain places. So it's, it's really looking at, you know, how to best, how to best expand your own personal liberty and that's really the way that and not in a selfish way in a way that you're able to help other people too you can't help other people like you're talking about from a health standpoint you can't help other people get healthy unless you're healthy yourself mm -hmm. um, unless you have your you know your, your diet on point unless you have a workout plan on point you can't you know help uh help someone to get uh you know financially free which I'm not financially free yet, unless you're financially free yourself. Um, it's not authentic, number one. And uh, it, it, and number two, I mean, you don't know how to, you haven't done it yet. Yeah. So I think that is really where the focus for a lot of the, uh, a, a lot of this libertarian energy needs to be turned kind of inwards on ourselves. Um, we're kind of uh, putting this out there that this is what everyone else should do. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. If you guys would all just do this, we'd all be free. <laughs> if you just take control of your own life, you have a lot more freedom. Um, if you could take, take control of your income and, uh, you know, create a, you know, a, a secure savings. And if you want to talk about putting that in Bitcoin or putting it in gold, or I don't, I don't care, you know, putting it in real estate, there's lots of different ways to make money. You can do any of them, but, but, looking at it that way and getting serious about really building wealth. Um, then if something happens, you live in a state like we're in Pennsylvania, who knows what can happen? If uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the governor race coming up next year, if a Democrat wins again, I'm probably out of here because things are just going to turn to shit. So you got to be able to be flexible and move to another state or pull your kid out of school and afford a private school or, or be able to, you know, one of the, one of the uh, parents stay home and homeschool. So mm -hmm. like th this level of flexibility where we're, you know, libertarians are so quick to say, if everyone else just changed what they're doing, then we'll all be free and my life will be better, which is kind of like a very anti-libertarian thing. And I think what I've yeah. come to like understand is liberty is different for different people. A lot of people don't want the liberty that we want. Their, their, their idea of of, of liberty of being free is, is different than ours. And to a certain degree, that's okay. Obviously, if they're hurting other people, we don't want that to happen. We have to stop right. that. But 
it's, it's trying to force our ideals and other people is obvious that it's not working. And the best way to, to influence people is by, you know, setting an example and showing a path and being a leader so people can follow. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, that kind of inspired, uh, <laughs> I kind of thought this will have to be more of a center focus on my message here, but, uh, you know, liberty and health, like you said, is very, you know, upon the individual where, you know, health for me may look completely different than health for you. Right mm -hmm. now, I'm chasing a 500 pound deadlift. I almost got it, but I'm not there yet. Well, for the average person, you know, just getting up and be able to walk 10 minutes might be their ideal for health. And that, you know, would then, you know, contain their liberty as well because they're able to function by themselves and independently. We know uh, grip strength, there's a lot of uh, studies on this, but grip strength correlates with mortality. So if you're not, you know, if you don't have good grip strength, then how are you able to function and, you know, maintain your independence? That's hugely important as being independent so you can enjoy your own liberty. Um, yeah, that's a really, really good note to end it on. Um, Go ahead, plug your yeah, shit, I mean, man. I'll just, I'll just say, add one more thing. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, that is ahead. a great point. You, you just, just focus on health for a minute, yeah. since that's such a such a big part of your show. But yeah, you, I mean, you're you're going for you know extreme weight, you know, weightlifting goals, which, which is great. And uh, we, where I'm, my, my, you know, what I'm focusing on right now, at least, is is distance running. Mm -hmm. But honestly, in a couple of weeks, that's going to change for me, and I'm going to be lifting a lot more weights because it's going to get cold as shit <laughs> here in uh, in Pennsylvania and yeah, uh, yeah. outside of Pittsburgh. So you know, I mean, it's my my uh, my idea of of working out is is going to change a lot. So um, it's yeah, it's it's so and taking control of your health. I think, I think libertarians, and I know a lot, it's kind of growing in libertarian movement, I think, is uh, taking control of health. But mm -hmm. once you um, have the willpower and self-control um, to really not let your diet control you and you control your diet, that is liberty in itself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, once you break down some of these sugar addictions yes. and you know carbohydrate addictions, processed foods, not to say you can never have it. I mean, I, I eat all that stuff too, but being able to, to, con to control it, that, I mean, that's liberty. Absolutely. Um, we'll kind of, we'll have to do another show because I really enjoyed this and we could talk more about health, sure, but um, uh, just two quick things before we get out of here. I did a lot of distance running last year and I did a half marathon after I had not ran for about two months that was one of the worst ideas. It was a cold ass October day. And I went to the Murraysville Trail and I ran 12 or 13.1 miles in two hours and 13 minutes. And I remember I grabbed the gate at the end and my whole fucking body was shaking so bad. And uh, my Achilles tendon, I don't know if I stretched it or what I did, but it hurt so fucking bad for like the next yeah. month um yeah and at that time i was doing a carnivore diet that's a whole another fucking rabbit hole but uh even doing that um I, I had binge eating issues essentially where i would restrict i'd be really good on my nutrition and then as soon as i just had that little bit of sugar it was fucking game over i was going mm -hmm. nuts i was face down in two cheesecakes and a milkshake and you name it i was face down in it <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's like another story for another time. Um, 
I'm glad you kind of brought that stuff up though. That's uh, it is very important that you're not a slave to your food. And mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, being able to put the fork down for an extended period of time, because I've done extended fast, but recognizing that sometimes you may be emotionally eating and that your relationship with food may need to be, you know, repaired or you need to work on it. Um, that's very, very important. And I think some people underestimate just how much, um, how important that would be if they were to just fix that one thing. Hundred percent, yeah, and fasting. I've done intermittent fasting, but I, I mm -hmm. would like you to get into some, you know, starting with a day day long fast and try to get to three days and go from there because mm -hmm. I've heard the benefits from that are are, are pretty uh pretty awesome. Yeah, I did a, a five day and I ran twelve miles. I got back from vacation from Ocean City, and uh, if I may make a recommendation on a five day fast, don't go running in the woods at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I did that. It, it was like the sketchiest shit in the world. I got back in the car. I'm like, I'm pretty sure something's like trying to kill me right now. Like tri uh, tripping out. Yeah, yeah it, it was kind of <laughs> fucked up because I wasn't even hungry by the time I ended. I ended after 133 hours and I lost wow. 20 or 25 pounds within the course of five days. But the week before I was just gorging down in Ocean City. But yeah, that's like a, another story for another time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, John, go ahead and plug your shit, brother. Yeah, so uh, obviously Lions of Liberty, got that going on. You can find that wherever you can find podcasts, uh, Lions of Liberty podcast, and we have three shows. Uh, Monday is Mark Clare's show. That's our longest running show. Wednesday is Brian McWilliams with Electric Liberty Land. That's more of a uh, current events and uh, culture type show. But Brian does, he, he's been doing some more, some more interviews. He's had some great guests on recently. And then uh, Thursday is my show, Finding Freedom. Um, like we talked about, it started criminal justice reform, um, bringing out people who've been through the system. Uh, st I still do that, but also, you know, I'm, it's really open up to everything. You know, I'm talking to business owners. I'm talking to people about spirituality. I'm talking about all kinds of different stuff. I'm really just finding freedom in your own life. And, you know, as, as my own uh, liberty evolves and how I look at, at personal liberty, uh, the show's going to evolve too. So, and then Run Your Mouth Coffee, uh, that is uh, uh, my coffee brand. You can go to rymcoffee.com and uh, check that out. We got some some awesome flavors of coffee. It's fresh fresh roasted. You go on there, you click what you want, place your order. It's roasted right then, and then it's shipped the next day, so you get it at its peak flavor. We have a, uh, uh, a coffee called Rebellion Beans, which is aged in a whiskey barrel for 30 days Ooh. prior to being roasted. Um, it's delicious. We got the, the pumpkin pumpkin one. Now, if people are into that, you want to want to try that out. And we got, we got a bunch of other great ones too. Nice. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, John. Um, like I said, we'll have to do it again sometime. And uh, until next time, everybody in Liberty and health. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.